Welcome to Whitefields Church Podcast. Our focus is to help you grow relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, I'll just say Christ in me, the hope of glory. I don't want to strike out using the baseball analogy. And I am a little hot with my loud mouth. I was in the Air Force and I worked on airplanes and I didn't like the ear defenders. So some frequencies, I'm just really loud. So forgive me ahead of time. Uh, Yes, yes. Um, Well, I want to say I appreciate Mark and Nancy and Vic and Larissa and everybody here that, that I know for the opportunity to speak. I consider it an honor to share the words of God. It's easy to share our own words, but to be able to say what he said, it's a divine privilege. And it's, and it's our responsibility as royal ambassadors to lay out the word of God and sow the seed. You know, I came away for two months. I've tried to stay, other than my job, I've tried to stay out of the flow of things in the natural, and I've tried to just go out into creation because the Lord said he wanted to teach me about the invisible God through what is clearly seen in creation. So I've been asking the Lord to reveal himself in what I see, what he's made. So we have a bunch of chickens up in Sutton that my wife twisted our arm to get. Um, And when we go out there to feed them, we throw the cracked corn on the ground. And as soon as we sow that cracked corn, man, those chickens come flying to grab that cracked corn. So in the spirit realm right now, there's a bunch of devil chickens trying to take the seed of God's word that's about to be sown. So I want you to take heed and be on guard for your soil that when the seed of God's word is sown this morning, that you protect it. Keep the birds away. Remember Abraham, when he was doing the sacrifice, he had to go and get the birds from landing on it. I think it was Martin Luther, the reformer, who said, I can't stop the birds from flying over my head, but I can stop them from building a nest in my hair, in my mind. And this is our high place. Your mind is your high place. So amen. Uh, Pray with me. Just do this. Turn to Psalms 24-7. I was teaching at the Citadel years ago, and I felt like the Lord told me to speak on the chakras because in New Age, everybody talks about chakras and the seven energy centers, and obviously I don't believe in that. But I do believe that there are energy centers in us that God put in us, and I believe they're gates. So in Psalm 24, 7, it says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors. So I sought the Lord on this, and I said, Lord, what is the head? And he goes, I am your head. So I said, Lord, I lift up you, O head. O gate, and be lifted up, O ancient door. And Christ Jesus is the ancient door. 
He's the gate. He's the door to the Father. And he's been with him the entire time because he is God. So Christ Jesus is the ancient door. So Lord, we just lift up you, our head. Oh, ancient door. And we ask that the King of glory would come this morning. Come into our gates. Because you said that the gates of hell would not prevail over your church. So God, I ask today, God, that those spirits that would come to steal, kill and destroy and take the word that is sown, I pray that they would have no access here. In Jesus' name. And I pray that our gates would be open unto you. And that if there is a gate of hell in people today, that, Lord, your word would overcome that gate. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So, uh, when I talked to Mark briefly last night and he had asked me to speak, I was at Gaio's in Anchorage having dinner with a bunch of family that had just come back from fishing out in Bristol Bay. And uh, I was super excited because the Lord had told me years ago that when the phone rings, go until I tell you no. So, I already knew that I was supposed to go. But I just sought the Lord and believed like he spoke to me. So I'm just going to, once again, pray this prayer now that you understand my view of 24-7 there. And then we'll start. Lift up your head, O ye gates, and let the King of glory come in. Lord, you said that the gates of hell would not prevail over the church. Lord, I ask that your ancient door, which is Christ Jesus, be opened up. That the King of glory, Jesus Christ the Word, shall be lifted up, O Lord, in me, in us. And your praise shall continually be in my mouth. And I will enter your gates with thanksgiving in my heart. And I will enter your courts with praise And how lovely is your dwelling place. And that's us. That's us. How lovely is your dwelling place. Those who treasure your word. Those who keep your word are radiant. And your word is life, which is our light. May your seed be sown into my heart today as I hear in obedience, not in hearing only. May your seed go down deep where the enemy cannot steal it. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. You know, uh, I'm going to read a note here. In the beginning, the word of God was in the garden of Adam and Eve. I'm just going to say that slowly. In the beginning... The word of God was in the garden of Adam and Eve. If you take the garden of Eden and apply it to you, God was in Adam and Eve's heart. He was in their garden. You guys follow. One day another's words was found in their garden. The enemy came in and began to speak His word in their heart. 
And there's coming a day, Jesus said, where another will begin to declare that his word is truth. That his word is the way in which to go. So I just want to say as a warning to all of us, be careful whose word you're listening to. We should only be listening to the word of God. Turn to Hebrews 4.12. Many of you know this, but I just love this, and I want to share it. Hebrews 4.12. I'm reading in the ESV. It says, for the word of God, who's the word of God? Jesus is the word. Think of this. The Father spoke words. Jesus is the word of the Father who became flesh. He's the word of the Father. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul, that's mind, will, and emotion, and of spirit, of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. The word of God is a person. It's not just ink on paper. The word of God is a literal person. So when we're reading the word of God, let that written word become the living word, living on the inside of us, growing, maturing. Paul said, I pray that Christ would be formed in you, that it would come forth growing. And we only grow by the living and active feeding of the word. We take the word written and we eat on it. We take God's words and as we apply them in obedience, he begins to grow just like a baby. And no creature is hidden from his sight. No demon, no principality, no hidden mist, no hidden creature. Nothing is hidden from his sight. He knows where they're at, what they're doing, and he knows how to overcome. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We will all stand before the word, and the word will judge us. The word of God will judge us. And it says, by your words, you will either be blessed or condemned. If I were to write a book, if all the words I've ever spoken were written down, and the scripture says that they are, and then somebody gave all of my words to the next generation, I wonder what type of words and what they would come out to be. And when I think that Jesus came speaking only the Father's words, that is absolutely amazing to me. 
Jesus is the word of God. The word. Jesus was and is the word of God in flesh. The very will of God, the very heart of God is Christ. And what he says is the will of God. So we run around going, well, I just need to find out the will of God. It's Christ. And it's coming out of his mouth. Jesus is the Father's life. He's the Father's way. And it's his, the Father's word to mankind. If you want to know God, we must listen to Christ. Jesus is the word of God. This word from God, Jesus, Jesus only spoke the words of the Father. This is why we must read the words of Christ, the word of God in the flesh. Now, I'm saying this redundantly for a purpose. When you sit with the word of God, like most of you already know in here, you sit and you read the word and you ask the Lord, let this become living you said it is, but let it begin to live in me. So I begin to say, okay, so if Jesus, a man, son of God, God in the flesh, came and the only thing he spoke was the will of God, then every word out of Jesus' mouth should be my focus. It should be my entire meal. It should be my focus daily. Because we no longer live. We have been crucified in Christ. We no longer live. The life we now live in the body, we live by faith in the Son of God. But Christ lives in me. So the measure that I receive his word and obey it is the measure of Christ in me. If I have a glass here, and when I pour the water in, the only way the glass will get full is if I continue to pour the water in. So the more we stay in the Word, the more we become full. These are basic, I know. But if we just take just the basics of what Jesus said, it will transform us. It will transform us. How many have been on this journey with Christ and when you look back at the way you came in and the way you are now, you just say, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. I didn't think I could ever get over certain things. But slowly and in his patience and in his mercy, he just says, keep coming, keep coming to me. Keep coming to me and let my word work. Let it work in you. Let it begin to transform you. Let your mind be renewed by my words. Nothing else. I mean, I hate to be rude. I love to worship, but in the worship service isn't going to do nothing. It's the word living, active in me that transforms the heart. Worship is great. Worship is a byproduct of the transformation. 
turn to John 1. John 1, in the beginning was the Word. So let's just say it this way. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. Who was in the beginning with God? Jesus was in the beginning with God. Proverbs says that I've been with him all this time. I was with him in creation. The reason he was with him, because he's the word that was spoken. Jesus is the word that was spoken, that created. Jesus dwells in the believer. And he begins to create with the word that's in us. So think of God, not that I want you to conjure up any image and break the law in the, in the word to think up some image of God, but if you can imagine God Almighty speaking, think of the word coming out of his mouth as Christ, and that word became flesh and dwelt among us, and now as we receive it, it comes into us, and as we live the word and Confess the word, we are transformed. Remember, Jesus said, don't be a hearer of the word only, but mix what you heard with faith and do it. Because in doing it, you build your house on the rock. So if I, Paul said, I'm a master builder. Why would he say he's a master builder? Because he began to build on every word that Christ revealed to him. That's why he was a master builder. He didn't get some knowledge outside of Christ and with his intellectual four degrees and his schooling under Gamaliel. It wasn't because he was so intellectual. It's because he emptied himself of all those things, went away to Arabia and met the Christ and said, I'm throwing everything I knew as dung. I need to build my house on his word. We can do the same thing. We build our life on what Jesus said. It's amazing how we can serve God for 20, 30 years and start figuring this out when we're 60. 70. And praise God that the Lord is helping us see it. But brothers and sisters, we're coming to a day where we will stand before the Lord and it will be so evident what we've built on. Jesus said, well, let me read John 1, 14. 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, the glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Through Moses came the law, and through Christ came grace and truth. I like it. Grace first, 
and truth. It wasn't just and truth. It was grace and truth. Did Jesus come to nullify the law? No. He came to fulfill it. And as we serve him, the law now is written on our hearts, and then we fulfill the law. Not because we do it all right, but because he's living in us. He's the law. He's the Torah. He's the fulfillment of it. He's the commentary of it. The, the uh, Pharisees thought they knew how to uh, bring about the hermeneutics of what this really meant, the interpretation. And Jesus rebuked them all and said, you think you know. But I am standing right in front of you. And I'm showing you what I meant by the law. But you wouldn't see it. Turn to 1 John. Starting in verse 1. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The disciples really did believe that Jesus was speaking the words of the Father. Remember, Peter even said, where else can we go? You are the one that has the words of eternal life. And they knew that the words that were coming out of his mouth were from the Father. Now, it took them some time to figure that out. Remember, I think Philip asked him, he said, Jesus, listen, man, let's just cut to the chase. Show us the Father. And I think they were all looking for, like, a spirit to kind of, like, come out from behind a chair or something. Like, he was hiding, like the Father was hiding a couple of steps behind Jesus or something. And then out of Jesus' mouth, the Father says... Philip, have you not known that I've been with you all this time? <laughs> I can imagine they're going, does he have DID? Does he have like MPD? Because it's Jesus one minute and it's the Father the next. And Jesus is going, it's never been my voice. It's been my Father. I'm here to reveal the Father. And I only do what he shows me what to do. And I only say what he tells me to say. So who went to the cross? The Father. Because Jesus does only what he sees the Father do. So don't say the Father was like, sorry son, go get that done real quick. No, the Father was broken. But it pleased to bruise his son because he knew the glory that was coming that he would call all of us into that relationship where we can be a mouthpiece of the Father. Believe it or not, as you begin to follow Christ, the Father will come and begin to speak through you. It's just not the life that we live is not our own. If we would just 
really believe the commitment that we said from the beginning. Christ, I give you my life. I'm going to follow you. And then we get saved and we start going to like a Bible college or a Bible study. And pretty soon, we're all about what we're going to do now. And no condemnation. We all done it. Remember? Peter was like, not so, Lord. I got this figured out now. You're not going to do this. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. For you have not the thoughts of the Father. So I asked myself, what are we really doing? What are we really building? And have we all sat in silence in the Word and it comes, becomes flesh in us and we begin to live the life that the Father has for us? Not what we others expect we should be doing or what the culture says we should be doing or how church has always been done. I want to be a vessel for the Father and you want to be a vessel for the Father. Jesus says, if you keep my word, here's the key, son, if you keep my word and live it, me and the Father will come and abide in you and my word will abide in you. You are a house. You are a householder. We are a storage unit. We are nothing more than a temple with rooms and storage. So the question is, is if you're a temple, what is in you? How much of Christ and the Father is in us. It says that the true householder will be able to bring good things of old and good things new from within him. Because it's not us. We're just like the, the hippocampus in the brain that files everything away, files all the memories away. When we read the word, we want to just we don't want to just read it and move on. It, I mean, how many times? We've all done it. We'll have our morning devotion if you do that sort of thing. I'm more of a night guy, but still, the, the, the example in the Old Testament is the priest got up in the morning, filled the lamps, and before they went to bed, they did the same. We're continually to be filling our lamps, right? And the crushing of that oil is by taking the word and living it. And believe me, when you begin to live it, it will begin to crush you because you'll be hated of all men. You'll be ridiculed and mocked. And then, this, then you have a target on you. And the birds of the air will begin to come and work against you. In the spirit realm, we are a target. And if you don't think that the, the beast system that's working overtime right now, it's coming to crush all of us little olives. If you don't believe me, read it. Revelation. It's coming. And if you don't know the Lord now, you better get in a hurry and start figuring it out because it's coming. And that's not fear. That's not fear. You just got to know the Lord. It says those who endure to the end will be saved. Endure what? Enduring, tilling the soil of my heart, walking in obedience. I'm enduring 
through the difficulty. Because I want to just go the way of culture. I want to just give in to this. If I just do this, my troubles are over. Every example in Genesis, Noah walked through the flood. He had to build the boat. He had to work. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to go into the fire. And we can go on with the stories. Whether there's a pre-trib rapture or not, and all your eschatological views doesn't matter, what Jesus say? And that's the point of my message is he's the word. What has he said? And if you read the parables which Jesus came to preach and share the parables which are all the hidden secrets from the beginning and he shared them in a way that the tares could not comprehend it. But the true disciples will begin to get revelation and understanding of what he's saying. So when you sit and read that it says in the time of the end, the Lord will send out his angels to bind up the wicked. Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and we, his people, inherit the earth. We were made from it. We will endure in it. And he will bring a new heaven and a new earth, which no eye has seen and no ear has heard, nor can our mind even imagine for us those who endure, those who take his word and let it go down deep. I'm going to read something here, and uh, I'll be quick. So I love books, and there's a book by Ada Habershon called The Study of the Parables. A couple years ago when I began to seek the Lord, he goes, study my parables, for those are my words. I'm thinking, well, that's deep. I mean... I guess, why wouldn't I be reading every word that Jesus said? Because that was the Father speaking through him. But we get so caught up on James and Peter and Paul and arguing about doctrine when I should just be reading what Jesus said. And I should have all the parables in my heart with understanding and knowledge so that I can begin to understand what Jesus was saying. So that I'm not surprised by the preterist or the amillennialist and all the different eschatology out there. Why don't I just figure out what Jesus said? I mean, it, it's like, what is wrong with us? And I say that to myself. I studied every single doctrine, Mormon, Catholicism, Jehovah Witness, everything. And the whole time, people would be like, what are you doing? Well, I want to study and see what they're saying. And I spent so much time, wasting time, when I could have just grabbed the word and said, Lord, Teach me this parable. And waited on him in silence until he just opened it up. That's our benefit. That's our right. So don't waste time like I did. Start reading the parables and let him reveal the will of God. And then we won't be confused when all the chaos is happening. We'll know exactly what's going on because he's told us. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, gives a very complete picture of his own character and work in the parables. 
Every parable will teach you more about Jesus, more about the Father, and more about us. For almost all of them describe him in one way or another of his various relationships. As we place them side by side, we see what a wonderful revelation they gave of himself. In the simple illustrations gathered from everyday life, he describes his attitude toward the world, his relationship to Israel, and to all of his own. He shows how he meets the sinner's every need and how he leaves out nothing that could add beauty to the picture of his grace and his goodness towards us. And yet the parables depict very fully both sides of his person and character, his divinity and his humanity. He is not only the humble sower, he's the patient shepherd. He's the eager seeker for goodly pearls of treasure. But he is the master, the judge, and the king. As he spake, his hearers saw before them a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, one who had not anywhere to lay his head. But in the scenes that he pictured, he takes his rightful place. He is the rich nobleman. He's the royal prince. He's the king's son. He's the king himself. The people knew him as one born in a stable, but he revealed his noble birth. They knew his poverty, but he spoke of his wealth. We need to ponder prayerfully these marvelous unfoldings of himself. And the more we do, the more shall we be able to discern the ever-fresh beauty that lies hidden in these simple stories. They present a very different view of our Lord Jesus from that which is given in much of uh, Christianity today. If we gathered our conception of him from such sources, we should be inclined to think of the one who executes judgment upon his foes as a very different being from the one who said, I am meek and lowly in heart. But the parables very clearly represent him in all of his majesty and power, and show that the same one who, as the good shepherd, giveth his life for the sheep and seeks the lost, also says, Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, and executes vengeance on his enemies, saying, Those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, but bring them and slay them before me. Those who will not receive his word and follow him are his enemies, and he will slay them. That's hard to hear, but it's the word of the Father. The one of whom's bosom the beloved disciple leaned at supper was the same as whom he saw in the glory of Patmos, at whose feet he fell as a dead man. The one John laid his head on the breast of Christ and had such sweet fellowship, went to the Isle of Patmos because he was in prison for the word of God, and when he, on the Lord's day, saw the Lord, he fell as dead. Christ is meek, and he is lowly, but he's God, and we will reckon with God very soon. So, when we study the parables, we'll begin to see the nature of this God that we serve. And we'll begin to understand the spirit realm. 
Because he spoke of it in every parable. If I were to ask you today, the Bible says, Babylon, Babylon has fallen. Come out of her. Who could tell me who Babylon is? And what are their teachings? And how do I come out of it? It's very important to know who Babylon is, what Babylon teaches, so we can come out of it. When I sit and think, if God is telling me the truth, what am I doing with my life? What am I focusing on? What are my habits and hobbies? Not that it's wrong to have habits and hobbies. But if they are not bringing me into a greater revelation of who he is and who I'll stand before, what am I doing? I am wasting his life. Because he gave his life so that he could live his through me. I'm going to read this. This is very interesting to me. So when... When the Lord kicked Adam out of the garden, he said, go and till the soil. Now, what's the soil? Our heart. What's the tiller? The word is a tiller. When we read the word, it's working. It's tilling the soil of our heart, getting the thorns and the thistles and the rocks out of it. So why? Why should we clean our soil? Jesus tells us in the parable of the sower. So that the seed can go down deep and you can begin to grow. Like I say, these are all things we know. But I thought it interesting in this book. It says that how can a man plow a straight furrow if he's looking behind him? How, if I'm a farmer and I'm tilling a soil from me to Robert Folks, if I'm looking behind me all the time, taking my hand off the plow, and I'm looking behind me, I cannot continue to proceed forward. And if I do, it will be crooked. Let thine eyes look right on, and let thy eyelids look straight before thee. The difference between the two incidents is that Elisha left his plow to follow Elijah, and it was the emblem of the old life. In the case of the man who would follow the Lord Jesus, the new service was symbolized by plowing. And Elisha dropped his plow to follow Elijah. The Word of God. There are a great many lessons taught in the parables about the Word of God. Almost the first one recorded in Matthew, that the builders on the rock and on the sand teaches the importance of doing as well as hearing. So you guys understand, we're all builders. Whether we like it or not, we are all builders. And I'm not talking about two-by-four, two-by-six, Lowe's, Home Depot construction. I'm talking about spiritually, we are a house, and there will come a day when we will stand before the Lord, and He will say, let me see what you have built. Or he will say, let us look at what I have built. 
that puts the fear of God in me in a good way. In a good way. Can you imagine if the Lord, we stand before the Lord and everything just washes away. Let it not be so. Let it not be so. And he told us over and over and over and over again in the parables. Watch what you say. Watch what you do. Watch how you live. The Lord prefaced it by saying, Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. If we don't do it, we aren't living it, and we have built our entire life on sand. You know, I don't mind bringing a message like this. Because it's not my message. <laughs> it's his message. It's his words. I'm not giving you my commentary. I'm telling you what he said. And then he's the one that gave the interpretation to it, to his disciples. I'm merely saying what an honor it is to repeat the words of the Father. It's our benefit. It's our honor. So when you, you know, when we don't, when we, when we seek the Lord to hear his word, there are times he'll give you things, of course. But how much more to read what he said and to repeat it? Because his words are eternal life. So this is, uh, I'll just leave that there. Study of the parables, Ada Habershon, I'm going to tell you. Arthur Pink, Ada Habershon, I got seven or eight authors that go through every single jot and tittle in all of Scripture. You find Christ on every page. You understand what the will of God is because they go through the words of the Father. It is amazing. Just a little tad bit there. So, we are temples. This isn't just Paul using an analogy. We are a temple. And yeah, they're going to build one in Israel, but it ain't the one we're looking for. Because Jesus said, I am the temple. I'll tear it down and raise it up. And now you are the temple. So all of us are fitted together like stones building up a spiritual house. So when the enemy comes in and, because, and does the desolation that causes, what is it? The abomination that causes desolation. I don't believe it's a physical temple. It's when the enemy begins to set up his throne in us because we haven't been bringing our thoughts captive. We haven't been walking with Christ. We've been partaking in the holy place, not off the table of showbread, but off the table of wickedness because we haven't allowed the word of God to purge that evil out of us. That's why when Jesus came to the temple in the New Testament, he would come and say, what are you guys doing? This is my father's house. And what should be happening in here is prayer, worship, living by my father's words. But you have made it. You have made it. The question is, is what have we made? What have we built? This is so serious. What have we built? What have we built our life on? All 
us will get praise from the Father. All of us that believe in Christ are saved and right with God. There's no condemnation in what I'm saying. But it's an urgency to say, if you've been wandering and building with your own two-by-fours and your own stuff, ask the Lord to come and cleanse us and let Him begin to build. Because He wants to continue to build what He planned before He brought you forth. Because not one thing comes into this earth without a purpose. That's one thing about learning from creation. When I go out to my house and I know nothing about ranches, I know nothing about horses and chickens because I wasn't raised around them. I had a little bitty instances every once in a while. But when I go out there and see that the chickens scratch around and eat the bugs and then we eat the chickens and then the, and then the horses do their thing and it fertilizes my soil that the chickens scratch around in, it's like everything has a purpose. And I go, I, this is amazing that every single thing has a purpose. You were brought forth with a purpose. You just got to say, Lord, let your purpose come forth in me. Show me how to shut up or what to do so that you can grow in me. So that when you come, I won't be ashamed. I'll just throw my crown down and say, he built it. He built it. He built it. So at my closing prayer, and I, I felt to write this down. I don't usually pray written prayers like this, but it does help in deliverance, I'll tell you that. As Linda says, amen back there. Um, so if you guys would bow your heads, I just want you to know this isn't some new age trick. We are praying to the Lord here, the Lord Jesus Christ. But I just want you to envision yourself as a temple, as a temple, because that's what we are. Lord, it is a tremendous privilege and a high honor to speak your words. The words that came from the mouth of Jesus. The very word of God. I know that your word accomplishes what you send them out to do. I pray that our hearts were prepared to receive your word. And this is our duty as a people. Is to prepare the soil for the seed. Lord, I am your dwelling. I am your temple. So I ask Holy Spirit to prepare my soil, my heart, my temple for your soon return. When you will give out your reward to those who have built their life on your words. Lord, forgive us for our trespasses. How many can say, Lord, forgive us our trespasses? Let's just say that together. Lord, forgive us our trespasses. For not living according to your word. We ask today for forgiveness. We repent of our sins and our transgressions and our iniquity and our iniquitous ways. We ask that you apply your blood to our spirit and our soul and our body. Cleanse this temple, Lord. That your word may dwell in us your life, your light, your spirit. For your word is spirit and life. Send the fire of your Holy Spirit to purge me 
of all known and unknown sin. Wash me in the word and fill me with your Holy Spirit that I may have the power to overcome all the gates of hell that are against me. Drive out all evil and speak light into my darkness in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for allowing me to shout and to declare the words that we all have the honor to share. The days are short. This will not stop. I almost want to say that, take me at my word, but don't listen to my word. But this will not stop. We have entered into the time of sorrows. God can throw a wrench in it, and we could be here for another 500 years. But it seems to me that the beast system, two seconds here, what has happened will happen again. What will happen in the end is found in the beginning. We were all born into a Pharaoh system. We're all Israelites making hay. We're making bricks. God sent Moses because the people cried. There's coming a greater exodus. And Moses isn't coming again, but Christ the King is coming. And he will deliver us from this bondage on this earth. And he will release this earth from bondage. So, let's get our hearts right. Let's share the words of the Father. And let's build a lot of good things with the Father while we still have time. Remember, Jesus said there's coming a time when, there's, when a man can no longer work. Five o'clock, getting off of work time is coming. It's coming. So let's work unto the Lord. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. Please make sure to subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit our website, whitefieldsalaska.com. Thanks again for listening, and may God bless you today.